Welcome to the Infertility Podcast, a podcast where we delve into the raw and unfiltered truths of infertility. And if you've lived with it, you know there are plenty. I'm Laura Kaufman. Join me as we take a deep dive into the ups and downs of infertility and learn of the science, the stories, the emotions, the people, and beyond. As this is an unfiltered podcast, it will almost certainly not remain PG. So please be mindful of the little ones that could be listening in. Let's jump in. Welcome to this week's episode of the Infertility Me podcast. I'm your host, Laura, and this week I had the pleasure of speaking to Jen. Jen is in a same-sex relationship. She struggled with infertility and is now mom to a beautiful baby named Cameron. We have a lengthy conversation, which is why this episode is actually going to be broken up into two parts. Part one will be this week. Part two will be next week. Now, my random recommendation for this week is a fellow podcast. It is called Beyond the Bump. I found it exceedingly helpful while I was going through fertility treatments. They have a lot of interviews with Dr. Timmy, as well as during my pregnancy journey. Definitely recommend. Now, if you've been enjoying this podcast, I would please ask that you subscribe and leave a review. It makes me much easier to find on all of the podcast hosting platforms. In addition, if you would like to know what some of my favorite things are and help support this podcast, I have a link in the show notes for this week. It takes you to my website and you can see all the fun things that I recommend there from my cooking website to this podcast to the podcast I share with my husband. Now let's dive into the episode. Hi, Jen. Thank you so much for joining us. Would you mind telling our beautiful listeners about yourself, please? Yes. Hi, my name is Jennifer. I live in Montreal, Canada. I am a mom to an amazing little peanut who is four. Her name is Cameron. Uh, And I am also in a same-sex marriage with my amazing wife, Daisy. And we've been married. We just celebrated seven years of marriage. Wow. Seven years. It's crazy that it's been that long. Josh and I have been married for, it'll be six years in January. And I'm like, oh my God. (laughs) I always say, like, it fucks with my mind a little bit that I'm like, oh yeah, it's been almost six years. And next year we will have been together for a decade. And I'm like, that's insane. 10 years. Yeah. It's just crazy. That's insane. (laughs) Yeah. You're the old married couple. It's done. Basically. And now, you know, we have a baby. I'm like, we don't really go out all that much. We are that stereotypical. Like this is what happens to you when you get married. (laughs) (laughs) We're right in there. We're on the same path, the same bucket. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. So our listeners won't know this, but I'm going to tell them you and I actually do know each other. We went to college. Yeah. We went to college with each other, and Mm -hmm. I'm originally from Montreal, Canada, and they have a unique program, which is a two- to three-year program between high school and university or college in the U.S., they like to refer to it, where you will get your bachelor's, and that's where Jen and I met. So your life has kind of gone in upheaval from the time I met you. Like, a lot of stuff changed, right? Yes. Yes. So could you walk us through what a lot of that looked like? Sure. I mean, I think when we met each other, oh my goodness, I was in, I think, a very kind of serious relationship at that time. You were Uh, just coming out of it. Yeah. I was just getting out of it. It was a pretty terrible relationship, to be honest. It involved a lot of, uh, of, uh, it was a very abusive relationship, to be fully honest. Um, And you kind of saw me kind of leaving that 
uh, relationship. Yeah. Um, and I do still want to just add in there that we did meet in Narnia class. I just want to We add did. In there. Yeah, we <laughs> took a class on C.S. Lewis and the whole class is the works of C.S. Lewis. And we got paired yeah. up for a project on, I think right. it was Voyage of the Dawn Treader or Prince Caspian. It was one of I the think two. it was because we did it twice. We did one yeah. with the Voyage and one with Prince Caspian. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's how I meant. But um, really funny at the time I had yet to do a, a, any kind of coming out or anything like that. It was yeah. kind of in myself and kind of dealing with, with current trauma at the time. But, um, it was so funny. I, I you know, I, I'm not going to use any names, but we had a common friend in that class as well, who was actually going yep. through their own coming out journey. Yep. Um, which is so funny. I was just telling my wife about it. I think like two days ago, cause obviously like talking to you again, kind of brings back yeah. all these memories. Um, and actually started my own coming out story. I brought Mm -hmm. this friend out for drinks with a common LGBT friend of mine, uh, who brought some of their friends. And that's actually how I met my very first girlfriend. We, uh, was during that night out and our common friend ended up dating the the other person. So that was my journey as well. So I've come out, um, I came out officially when I was 21 so it was a little bit of a later coming out for me. Um, and then, yeah, I think uh, I did not stay with that partner, but I met mm-hmm. my current partner who's from France uh, through a, on my 27th birthday. I went out Okay. For and how did you two meet? Yeah. Oh, okay. We, yeah. I went out for drinks um, and I saw her and she looked amazing and she was wearing overalls, <laughs> which is my... <laughs> Weakness, I guess. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I think, Who doesn't love overalls? Oh my God, I love a good pair of overalls. And um, I just thought I actually just kind of went up to her and I and I kissed her and I said it's my twenty seventh birthday. We're going dancing. If you want to like join us, and she did. Mm-hmm. She ditched her friend group and she actually joined us. Wow, that's bold. Yeah, way bold. And then she told me she was yeah. from Paris, and I was like, perfect. Like this is gonna be like a quick, <laughs> like happy birthday to me. You know, like yeah. no serious commitment. I a love fun it. French fling. Yeah, exactly. It was like, and who doesn't want to fling from someone with Paris? So I was like, done. And um, the next morning I had to go apple picking with some of my friends and I didn't really, mm-hmm. and I just kind of invited her and she was like, I thought she was going to say no. And she said, yes. And I said, <laughs> okay. And well, then this is taking a different turn than I it expected. Was completely crazy. We then yeah. gave each other each other's names. We didn't know each other. Um, and then 30 days later, we signed it a lease together. It was, it was wow, very, that's I so know. fast. Super. And yeah. then we got, she went back to Paris for 40 days and she broke okay. off whatever she had to break off and told her family like, Hey, I'm moving to Canada and, um, came back 40 days and that 40 days I prepared our apartment and all that stuff. And we've, we got engaged at three months and married, no engaged at six months, married at nine months to today. We met on October 4th and we were married on July 4th. Wow. What did your yeah. families think of this and how quickly this was moving? They were so nice about it. My mom met Daisy, I think. Um, she met Daisy, I think it was like like three weeks into us meeting. My mom okay. loved her and was like, you need to marry her. And I was like, okay, yeah. there, whoa there, chicka. Yeah, like slow your roll. Um, <laughs> slow your roll. It was just a fling. Who knew? Yeah. And she actually texted, Daisy actually texted my mom on Christmas day. She was in Paris at the time during those 40 days. 
And so yeah. I'm, I'm coming back and I will ask your daughter to marry me. I just wanted to let you know. Oh, and just wow. And my mom was like, absolutely. Like, go for it. We just. That's amazing. Like, yeah. It was meant to be. And then I went to Paris yeah. with her family and her family was like, sure. <laughs> Why not? Wow. So yeah. she wasn't living in Canada then. She was just visiting when you two met? She was here on a, she was writing a book. She was here on a work assignment. Yeah. Oh, wow. It was what about the odds, right? traveling to Canada or <laughs> Daisy Lecoeur. But uh, she's written a couple of books about traveling and um, and uh, studying in Canada. So she's done a couple wow. of Wow. Yeah. So basically, her book could have taken a very interesting turn at the end. Like you go to Canada for a trip and you find your partner and you get married. Exactly. <laughs> right? Like, oh, that's crazy. For her, she was also leading a very serious 10-year relationship when we met. Oh, wow. Yeah, which was like her first real long-term girlfriend. And yeah. um, I think also moving to Canada for her just kind of like opened a huge thing of possibilities. I mean, in France at the time, there was the mariage pour tous and um, anti-mariage pour tous, I mean, which, you know, anti-marriage for LGBTQ people uh, and mm. also was not legal to do insemination. So you couldn't do babies. You can have a baby if you were um, part of the LGBTQ community uh, or if wow. you were a single female as well. So if you were just like a... Wow. Yeah. yeah. So you Wanting to have a baby. That. And when we met, I think like three weeks in, I was like, just let you know, like for me, family is like super important for me having a yeah. child. It's like a long-term goal. And I saw us going on this like really fast trajectory. And I said, FYI, like I'm going to want, like I know this is really early as a conversation, but like <laughs> I'm going to want babies. And Daisy and her yeah. was like, okay, crazy. Uh, crazy person. Yeah. Like because calm to down. her wasn't even like a possibility, you know, to have right, babies. Right. Yeah. So has that changed in France or is that still the same thing? It's so, it just changed. Like not that long ago, uh, single females or single, you know, people who own a uterus can now have, mm-hmm. um, can now do inseminations and LGBT as well. However, what is a little bit complicated is that the non-birthing parent uh, yeah. is not recognized as a legal parent of the child. So do they then have to go through a process of adoption? Process of adoption, which is very, very expensive. And, and then yeah. you have to actually show up in court and justify your parenting, I guess. Wow. Um, it's so odd because France is like a really secular country for the most part and seems yeah. fairly progressive. It's like laissez-faire, you know, with all that stuff. But apparently not with this. <laughs> apparently <laughs> so, not with this. You know, you can go to the Moulin yeah. Rouge and Crazy Horse, but like you can't have a baby. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, uh, it's changing again. And now they just, just came out with a new form. We're going to be testing it out soon because – Daisy here um, in Canada on my daughter's birth certificate, it says Mother yeah. Jennifer, Mother Daisy. So it does say Mother okay. and Mother on the birth certificate. Uh, yeah. So here, Daisy's a full recognized legal parent. Um, yeah. In France, Daisy is not uh, a parent to Cameron, which means she has no legal right when we go to France, uh, wow. which is very scary when you travel. Um, yeah. But there's a new form that just came out, came out a couple months ago. We have a lot of friends of ours who have these dual citizenship um, relationships and who are going to be testing out the form. And it does say non-birthing parent on it. And supposedly you fill it out and it will recognize your child in France as your child for same-sex parents. Okay. So, wow. Yeah, that's a lot. 
it's a lot. That's I don't know. Lot. We're nervous yeah. about doing it. It's always nerve wracking to go through rejection. So we're, sure. we're going to do it. We'll do it. Yeah. So when did you two decide that you wanted to start your family? Oh my God. Us together was right after yeah. marriage. Okay, so nine months basically after you met, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. We were 27 when we got married in July. And I think right after that, we were like, for us, the next step is to grow our family. So I think it was like 20, right. which is incredibly young. So <laughs> I, I will say like I started trying to get pregnant when I was 27 or 28. Obviously, it took okay. a lot longer. I was 28 when oh. we officially started. But, you know, four years later, have a baby. <laughs> so, um, but obviously, in like a typical heterosexual couple, it's predetermined mm-hmm. who's going to carry the baby. So, right. did you two have lengthy conversations as to which of you would be the biological mother or the carrier, the gestational carrier? I don't know if you like decided as well as to whose eggs you would use. Like, what did that process look like for the two Such of you? Such a good question. So the very first thing we did was, okay, we want to have a baby. How do we have a baby? Because that's just – Right. And I mean, there's just so many options. But like at the same time, everything is a little confusing and you're yeah. lost. So there is this amazing uh, – it's called the LGBTQ Family Coalition here in Canada, in Quebec. And okay. they host this yearly – kind of like parental, how to make a baby crash course in Quebec. And oh, wow. they give okay. you a class in insemination, at-home insemination, contracts okay. you need for at-home insemination, insemination with a known donor, insemination with a closed donor, uh, adoption, right. uh, gestational carriers, uh, etc. cetera. So uh, parenting with multiple parents. What if you're a family that has right. three people, four people? How do you go yeah. about making these families work? So. We went to this crash course and we listened to all the options. Right. And then I remember I was still smoking at the time. We went outside and <laughs> had a smoke and I, we looked at each other and we both really identified with insemination, which is definitely how okay. we wanted to do it, IUI. We knew we did not want to go with a friend donor. We wanted to keep this as private as possible between us. So we went okay. with a known donor, which we can talk about more after if you'd like. Yeah, um, absolutely. And then uh, instead of a closed donor, and then uh, we said, okay, let's do that. And then uh, we had the conversation of, well, how do we feel? You know, Daisy is, we're both queer, so we both identify as, as queer. Um Explain to people what that means. Sure. We really kind of fall in the spectrum. In be- well, actually, we really don't fall in the spectrum between female and male. It's just for us, it's not girl or boy. We're just human beings. I call her Monam, which is my soul. She, mm-hmm. We're just two souls really living on this planet. Um, yeah. We look the way we look. We don't identify things to a feminine or a masculine. Um, you know, it's just kind of being our authentic selves, whatever that may be. Sure. And, uh, but Daisy does have a more troublesome relationship with her uterus, uh, with certain body parts and is not something she really fully identifies with. Um, okay. so it was clear in that moment that I was going to be carrying and I also right. wanted to carry. So it really worked okay. out. So was that a surprise for you that you wanted to carry or not really? No. Um, I think Daisy and I were brought up very differently. I think I was brought up in a very heteronormative 
world. Well, yes. For everyone, you don't know this because you don't know Jen, but Jen was like a prima ballerina. So. <laughs> Which yeah. is a very feminine thing. Yes. I mean, like you even went overseas and did like – went to Russia. Baller, like you went to Russia and did, you know, workshops yeah. over there and stuff like that. Which yeah. for oh, people yeah, who don't true. know, ballet is like a serious thing, you know, in <laughs> Russia. Yeah. And – she was in the Nutcracker and all of this stuff. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, like, that is a very feminine aspect. Like, you know, I yeah. think for our generation, it was like – I mean, I'm speaking for people that grew up in, like, Canada and Western, you know, right. countries. It was like when you were a young girl, for the most part, like, you were put in ballet and dance and jazz yes. ballet and all that kind of stuff when you were little. And yes. it kind of was your first real exposure to that femininity, you know? Yeah. And I was just – yeah. I also grew up with like five older no, actually at that time I technically have five older brothers, but I grew up at that time with three yeah. older brothers. You know, I was the the last kid, the only, you know, I'll, I'm I'm doing air quotes with girl. And yeah. um and uh so, you know, I was shoved into ballet at the age of 4 and, you know, yeah. I was just raised in a really, you know, the boys will be boys, the girls will yeah. dance and the head yeah, or whatever. Exactly. And it, I'm not, you know, docking my parents. It's not what I'm doing, but I'm just that was the world I grew up in. And then It was to, very culturally expected at that yeah, time, I feel like. I a, yeah. Total side note. Oh my god, my daughter. <laughs> To my this my my daughter starts ballet class in September. Woof! This it's a really big one for yeah. It's a big one oh, for me right yeah. now. It kills me yeah. a little bit. Uh, we've put her in soccer, taekwondo, African dance. <laughs> we put her in gymnastics. I've done like everything other than ballet, and she but she wants to ballet. Me and she's like, mommy, I really want to do a ballet class, and I said, okay. Oh. <laughs> Okay, yeah, I mean, it. at that point, if they're kind of asserting that themselves, you kind of just have yeah. to lean into it, I guess, it's, right? It's my heart a little bit, and obviously, I'll be incredibly protective. But uh, we're yeah. uh, we're just doing for it. sure. Josh yeah. and I have had this conversation just because he did wrestling growing up, and Cute. I think it creates so much. Um, potential for body dysmorphia because yes. of the weight cutting yeah. and he was like well dance does that too in a different yeah. way and I was like oh a hundred percent especially oh, yeah. ballet where it's like someone like me I you know I have big boobs and you know big hips I did ballet and it was like mm-hmm. you cannot be that shape and do ballet like that's just not a I thing swear. so yeah same and I'm, I'm a, I was a tiny string string bean yeah. at the time and I had I in Russia a lot <laughs> for having too many curves and I was like oh. yeah so and it was incredibly malnourished at the time but um yes. it, it, yeah she's starting but uh yeah so I have a very kind of heteronormative view at the time right um, you know we do a lot of growing which is nice I'm so happy that I've grown but um I think in my brain I was you know born as a female and I had to do female Things. things yeah <laughs> that how I can work it? and um although it was I was incredibly progressive I feel for my age I mean I remember Daisy and I like a, like a moment in our relationship that really marked her we had just started going out we we're talking within that first month and we were taking well they got we we're taking a bath it's where we have all our serious conversation is in the top. Does it? <laughs> the top conversations are the best conversations. And Absolutely. so we were taking a bath and I I just asked her, I was like, oh, by the way, 
I was like completely out of left field. We're just getting to know each other. I was like, how do you identify with your body parts? Like, is there anything you don't want or anything you do want? Or is there anything, mm-hmm. you know, you want me to just kind of slow down on just to make sure you're comfortable all the time? Mm-hmm. And she kind of looked at me and she was like, damn, like, who are you? <laughs> she was like, yeah. this is nice, you know? And I was like, by the way, this is an open conversation. We, ha- we still actually have that conversation like every okay. month together wow yeah because we we all evolve as beings but um yeah so anyways but even though it was incredibly progressive in in the way of how we can identify when it came to kind of gender roles I felt like okay well I was born as a female I'm gonna get married (laughs) and then I'm gonna have babies and uh, and (laughs) lesbian or being in an LGBTQ relationship is not gonna like stop my world yeah your goals <laughs> yeah your lady goals <laughs> my lady goals will keep going yeah, so exactly go. so yeah so for me it was a it was an automatic that I was gonna I was gonna carry okay so what did that once you made that decision what did that process then start to look like it was long and incredibly quick at the same time it was yeah. so the first thing you do is you go through a massive amount of tests like a massive okay. amount of tests. And I just want to What kind like, of tests? Yeah. I, I just want to preface this by saying we were the first out of all of our group of friends to do all of these things. So we were the first in a group of friends to get married. We did not have any married yeah. friends. And then we were in the first in a group of friends to go after the baby role and yeah. all of that. And since then, we actually accompany other LGBTQ parents throughout their journeys. We go out for coffees with them. We reassure them. Yeah. We, you know, give them support. Yeah. And that support. Exactly. But we had no support. <laughs> so we Yeah, had it's hard. Nothing. And it mm-hmm. was sucked. But um, hopefully with – because. We, we will try again. Hopefully the second time will be a lot better. But um, so you start doing all these tests. So first thing you do is blood tests. Um, they just check your blood, obviously checking for any STDs. Um, yeah. And they're also going to check for the your CMV status. CMV status is kind of like a certain virus. And it's almost like a flu. Um, okay. But you've either had it or you haven't had it. And so you're either a positive or a negative. Um, mm-hmm. If you're a positive then you can go after any donor. You can get a donor that's CMV positive or CMV negative. It yeah. doesn't matter. You've already had this virus. If yeah. you're CMV negative, you can only get a CMV negative donor. Um, okay. Because and are, are there wanna, fewer of those? There's fewer. Um, it also just limits because when you have yeah. a CMV positive, you can look at every single donor. When CMV negative, yeah. you can only look at certain donors. Right. Um, so it limit your donor choice. Um, and I was CMV negative, so it did limit. And you don't yeah. want to get CMV, which is why you go with a negative donor, because it can, if you get it during pregnancy, you can go into early labor, you can go through a lot of troubles. Yeah. Issues, um, and it, it, can, it can lead in, you know, losing a child. So it was, it was all yeah. of these things. You kind of have to look at that. Um, and then they also check out your uterus and they're like, yep. okay, so you're going to go for all the ultrasounds uh yep, the first been there. <laughs> one is intravaginal ultrasound for, for those who are part of this community of mine uh so oh, yeah. it's a little invasive right if you're not you know super comfortable with that part of your body yeah it's something that you do have to go through um I remember mine like it was yesterday and I remember telling them they're like and they're like oh my god you have like a textbook uterus and I was like 
oh, thanks. And I'm like, yeah, like we could take a picture of your uterus and like put it in a textbook. It's like so uterus looking. <laughs> I was like, hey. um, thank you. Yeah. How do you respond to something so like proud. that? <laughs> <laughs> and um, yeah. And then we went. Um, so yeah, we did that. And then we did yeah, the ultrasound. Uh, and then we did have to go and see a psychologist. You have a psychologist appointment. And a lot of people in our community is very against this one, but I would like to say that I'm very for it. It's not really okay. Test. Why? A lot of people think they're like, oh, you have to like prove yourself as like an LGBT person that you can be a parent and they're going to check if your yeah. like, mind is okay. It's really not. It's, 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 I feel like it's not well explained during the process, but when you get there, you see you see a psychologist, they bring you in and they just want to let you know, do you have any questions about this process? This is, this is going to be something. This is sometimes going to be invasive. There's going to be a lot of decisions to make. And this is also where you discuss the very famous conversation of the differences between an open ID donor and a closed ID donor, because this decision will be incredibly important today for your child, for your child. Yeah. For the rest of their life. That's so fascinating. Yeah. And this is where you have this conversation. I thought it was very similar to what your community felt it was where, I mean, I don't, I have several friends that are part of your community and Mm -hmm. I've always personally had issue with the fact that like any two people off the street, if they're a man and a woman can go home, have sex and create a baby, you know, it's like, it's frustrating and no one's going to sit down and interview them. But then I was like, okay, why do my friends then who are salt of the earth people who will make Mm -hmm. phenomenal parents need to go through this process? I was just, you know, I was one of those people that was getting so frustrated on their Mm -hmm. behalf, especially too, because like when I started doing my fertility treatments, my husband and I didn't have to do that. You know, like we didn't have to meet with anybody. No, we just like, we met in uh, with our doctor yeah. Who went over the procedure with us, which was yeah. very basic because COVID babies. And right. we didn't even meet her in person. It was all online. Oh and God. we didn't have any of that, you know, therapeutic support or encouragement. And mm-hmm. yeah, it's a very separate verge in the road for yeah. hetero and, you know, LGBTQ yeah. plus couples. So right. I'm really fascinated to hear that perspective on Side it because it. I never would have yeah I never really would have thought about it that way yeah. but also like I guess it's true when you're using a donor like it really brings in this whole other aspect of the conversation that I don't yeah. know if we had needed a donor if that would have been something that they then would have approached with us you right. know right and the other thing too is they even talked to us I remember so we had that conversation and then they go you know they they kind of give you a little bit of a almost like a reality check and they kind of go you know mm-hmm. this is going to be a, a process mm-hmm. sometimes the process is easy and simple and sometimes it isn't yeah and we want to let you know that we're here for you if it isn't how amazing is that I mean I wish I would have remembered that yeah when it became not easy but um yeah <laughs> <laughs> I totally did not remember um but um in that moment it was a very reassuring and uh you know Daisy and I had not decided between closed and open ID donor before like, we hadn't even discussed it between us so explain what it is. Yeah. Well, so an open ID donor 
compared to a closed ID. So an open ID uh, is a donor who is open to connection. So is open to meeting, to having a conversation uh, Mm -hmm. with said child uh, at the age of 18. So at the age of 18, through, uh, we went through the sperm bank. So through Zytec, they have, you know, their own means of putting people together. Um, You then get access at the age of 18. If Cameron says, I want to meet my donor, um, I have questions about my identity. I have questions about my genetics. I have questions about my, you know, my background, my family tree, uh, whatever that may be, um, she can. So she just contacts and you can sign you. We already signed a contract. She also has access to, they're called diblings. So donor siblings. Okay. Yeah. Daisy and I don't really believe in those. I don't think a sibling, you know, we don't believe that genetics makes you a sibling nor does genetics make you a father or a mother. Um, we, we truly believe it's about that connection and, and, uh, yeah. and, and that family connection. So we don't believe in diblings, which is why some people do. You know, I have access already to uh, Cameron's diblings. I don't have okay. an interest in seeing them. Um, yeah. Also, you never know <laughs> who these people might be. Yeah. Uh, you know, we're not a, a straight couple, so I don't know. I just right. <laughs> I'm gonna stay out of this one. But if Cameron yeah. wants to, we we cannot meet the donor as parents. Uh, okay. We're not allowed to meet this donor. But ever Cameron, or even after ever. she's 18. Wow. Okay. We don't have access to the donor. No. Okay. It's really, really for the child. So if Cameron came to you at, let's say, like 20 and says, I'm going to meet with the donor and I would like one of you to come with me, you can't go with her. I would go with her, not at the meeting. I would probably go and sit next door. Okay, (laughs) yeah. Probably crying and (laughs) and just making sure she's okay. Oh my God, I'm emotional just thinking about it. But um, yeah, no, absolutely. I would go with her, but I wouldn't be able to go at the table with her. And I would just explain, you know, we would have all these conversations. We thankfully have other people in the same situation. I would encourage probably to go and speak to other people who have met their donors. Sure. Yeah. First and foremost, um, how to manage expectations. And just, and just go in with, um, hey, if there's something you want to know, go into that meeting wanting that one piece of information. And then like that, you do feel fulfilled. Yeah. So, you know, be Yeah, exactly. But I would be next door. Who knows, you know, if that donor would say, yes, I absolutely want to meet your mother who's right next door. That would be the donors. But sure. legally, legally, I cannot go and reach out to him through uh, Zytec. So if he said he was open to meeting you or Daisy, then you could meet? I guess so. If he wanted to come by next door and, you know, have coffee in the exact same spot, I guess we yeah. could. Yeah. yeah. Which is, you know, they, that was actually one of the main scenarios I think we had in our head when we picked our donor. Our donor, yeah. we had very, very strict, you know, we already felt like we were I don't like using this sentence, but playing God. I don't like yeah. it, but like playing science, maybe. I are- <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like with so many things. Mm-hmm. Um, because it was, you know, obviously this is a very scientific procedure. Um, thank goodness for science. Yes. Um, <laughs> but um our main criteria was uh health in the female mother side of the family. So I have a lot of cancer in my family. My mom is a triple cancer survivor. My dad is a cancer survivor. I had a half brother have cancer. 
too much cancer. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. And my grandfather just had cancer. So it's it's just, it's too much. And I wanted to limit the cancer gene, which is usually brought in by the maternal side. So sure. I was like, okay, I want to limit this as much as possible. We want a healthy motherly side donor. Yeah. Um, the second one was he had to be um, cool. Yeah. <laughs> just, he, he had to, like, when we read his file, I, I we would look at each other and go, would I want to have coffee with this person? Yeah. And that was our criteria. Yeah. Maternal health, cool, and, oh, corrupt intentions. That was it. Because there's an okay. intention letter when you pick. Okay. What does that and look like? he did either, like, uh, my intentions – oh, well, like, they say, like, a, a bogus name, like, or my friends call me or my nickname is. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have uh, – you know, I, the sports like to play, whatever they want to say and what really their intention is on why they're donating. Sure. Are they doing it short of money because in the states you did get paid for sperm and in yeah. Canada you don't. Interesting. Um, okay, I didn't know that. Yeah. Uh, what's your What's your motive? And this donor that we chose, love him. Like I love him so much. His hero was his mom, which <laughs> I was like done. Um, <laughs> his favorite book was Harry Potter. And okay. I'm like, done. Done. Yes. Um, he wanted to. Obviously, this was pre-JK Rowling drama. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> which is a little against our community. Anyways. Yes. Um, we'll, we'll forgive him for that because it's obviously before. Um, his, uh, he, he loved music and sports and uh, his intention letter, instead of writing an intention letter, he wrote a letter to the future kid. Okay. Said, hi, my nickname is this. You were created halfway with me. Yeah. And it was more of a letter of your to the kids saying like, hey, if your parents went through this and went through me to have you, it's because they wanted you. Yeah. Like, that's how much they that's wanted you. So and I was nice. like. nice. Yeah. Oh. Like in the like, heart. understand. <laughs> yeah. Right in the heartstrings. Oh, my God. Done. Done. Yeah. So we chose that. Okay. We did do other donors first, though. We did a total of three different donors. Wow, okay. Um, and he was our third donor. So did those just fall through? Or were, like, did you actually go through with IUIs with the other donors? We, we went through, yeah. Okay. We went through. I was having a lot of fertility issues at the time. I also do believe, however, that it's because they were not meant to be our donors sure okay so what I don't even remember them right I mean you know it's one of those things you put it out of your brain now that Cameron is here so what kind of fertility issues were you experiencing because you kind of went into this thinking with your textbook uterus that like everything was gonna go perfectly right right yeah I was gonna get pregnant on first try that's what I went into it exactly um and they're like, yeah, you're young, you're healthy. Mm-hmm. Uh, all of my tests came out picture, picture perfect. Yep. My best friend at the time had just it was an old friend. We actually had a falling out, so that's why we didn't have them as a support. But my friend at the time had just gone through an IUI and got pregnant on the first try. Okay. I was like, okay, like duh. this is easy like, enough. This is yeah. Happen. Yeah, and it's and it's and I was always. I also had a, maybe a little bit of a naive view of Daisy and I, you know, said so it's me and Daisy, you yeah. know, we're special people. Yeah. Yeah. We deserve this baby. <laughs> we deserve this going to happen for us. No, yeah. it did not. Um, it just started with a lot of failed IUIs. I just wasn't getting pregnant and it was frustrating. So yeah. it started off 
with a failed IUI. And then the second one, oh my God, like the trauma, I got pregnant on the second one. And, um, but things just weren't looking really good and, uh, they were looking a little funky and, uh, I actually, I just wasn't telling anybody about it. I was obviously bleeding during that time and, um, very much in denial. And we were visiting my grandmother who was dying from ALS and I showed her the positive pregnancy test, you know, but at the same time I was still having bleeding. Like it was just, you know, and then we come home. And you have to go after like 10 days, you have to go for a blood test to yeah, check your, your beta levels, levels yeah. to confirm, confirm pregnancy. So I'm thinking I'm going to get this call. They're going to be like, you're pregnant. You know, yeah. obviously I've already done the test. And um, I had read, you know, you I doctor Googled everything. Yeah, of course. And I saw that sometimes you can have some bleeding mm-hmm. or implantation bleeding yeah. or you can have this, you know, I was like, okay, so it's fine. And I remember Daisy was at school. She was in class. And so I was by myself when I got the phone call. Yeah. And, you know, I feel bad for this nurse. Maybe I must have been her last call of the day. I don't know. I waited until, like, it was, like, almost, like, 7 p.m. Oh, when geez. I got that phone call. And, um, and she was like, hi, is this Jennifer? And I was like, yeah, it's me. And she was like, okay, yeah. So you're currently having a miscarriage. And I was like, excuse me? Oh, and she geez. goes, and I was like, uh, and I was like, wait, wait, what? Like, I'm, I'm expecting that you're pregnant phone call. And, yeah. uh, and she was, you're currently having a miscarriage. Have you started bleeding? And I was like, no concern me. whatsoever. Like, I'm, a person. <laughs> I, yeah. And I'm, I just kind of said no. And she's like, okay, we should start bleeding in the next couple of days. Come back in three days to do another, uh, blood test to make sure we don't need to do like a DNC, uh, to help you pass the baby. Jesus. And I'm like. And I think all I said was, okay, thank you. Yeah. I mean, like, what else can you say in that moment? What do you say? I said, okay, thank you. And I just hung up the phone and cried by myself in bed because I was by myself. Yeah. And so Daisy comes home from class and she at that time did not have data. So did not know that I was going to. Yeah. I had no idea what she was walking into at home. Well, she's thinking she's walking into like a happy, jolly person. Yeah, she's like, exactly. We're pregnant. Yeah, comes in through the door of just hearing me wailing in oh, bed, geez. just praying. And I was like, "You have to come and pray with me." I said, at this point, I was like, you know, LGBT out the window. Get into prayer mode. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. you know, we're not, we're non-believers, but if this helps, we'll do it. Yeah, exactly. Like, this moment, aspiration. Yeah. And uh, and I said, Daisy, I was like, no, no, you have to pray. Like, I haven't started bleeding yet. Maybe we can still save it, you know? And yeah. that was, like, my mindset at the time. Yeah. And um, and sure enough, the next day, I started bleeding, and I lost the, I lost the baby. And um, I remember during that time, we were going to do our very first meeting with our lawyer for Daisy's immigration. Oh, jeez. I mean, like, oh, nice. Right. And then yeah. I lost my job, and then my grandmother died. It was just – Yep. <laughs> I can relate. Uh, We had one miscarriage prior to starting our fertility treatments. It was a chemical pregnancy, but we had moved to a new state. I got pregnant and lost the pregnancy and my husband got fired from his job all in a seven day period. Same. Seven days. It was a week period. It was a week period. And I was just like, what the fuck is happening? 
happening. I don't even know how to function right now. And no. yeah, you just go into this turbulent mind fuck that you're like, okay, well, there's no point yeah. in even carrying on. I'm just going to crawl up in this ball and cry and that's going to be my life forever. Oh, you could that's all you could do. So, yeah. and, and then Daisy couldn't work. Daisy was going through immigration at the time. So she yeah. legit could not have a job. So yeah. It's so hard. Real quick. Yeah. And it's expensive yeah. to do IUIs uh, in Canada. So it was, at the time we were, we weren't paying for fertility meds at that time yet, but yeah. we, every single try, so every single sperm of vial is mm-hmm. about like 1,100 per vial. Okay. And were you doing medicated IUIs or non-medicated Not IUIs? Yet, because they're like, she's the bill of health. Yeah, So she's, she's going to get pregnant on the first try. And yeah. well, technically I had a, a miscarriage, but I, I, you know, and then things got super funky. And then I, um, you know, we kind of went through that. We went kind of went through that, and it was a very traumatic experience. We had nobody. Nobody came to our house. Nobody came and brought food. Yeah. Nobody came and brought me tequila. Like <laughs> nothing. Um, and very lonely. We we didn't have our family. Daisy's family's in France. I think my mom at the time was in Costa Rica. Um, you know, so we were completely by ourselves. Yeah. And I just remember thinking, I failed. Right. I'm a failure. I'm supposed to do this and I didn't. And my thing was IUIs cost us money. We are choosing to be a family as an LGBT couple, which means I am financially implicating my family yeah. in this. And every single time my uterus goes into production, I am costing my family money over a thousand dollars. And when you're 28 and not swimming in know, money, yeah, knowing how to negotiate a salary yeah. at the time, um, <laughs> those thousand dollars are yeah. precious. And so I really felt like I was letting Daisy down. I was the financial supporter in our relationship as well right. because Daisy couldn't work at the time. Um, and so I felt like I was filling everybody. Yeah. And I remember I just texted my mom, I'm having a miscarriage. I'm losing the baby. I said, text everybody. I don't want to hear from everyone. I don't, nobody text mm-hmm. me. And I, I wish they wouldn't have listened. I wish they would yeah. have texted me if, if hindsight is twenty twenty, because I felt incredibly yeah, lonely. Yeah, it's a hard situation um, for both parties. For both parties. And then nobody. I mean, I feel incredibly bad for Daisy because at the time, Daisy was trying to piece me back together because I was yep. a broken person and not a single person asked Daisy how she was feeling. Daisy yeah, never the got the partner to- gets forgotten completely and I mean this woman just lost a child she you know she's and she she can't do she's incredibly helpless you know this is not her uterus this is not you know it's not her uh, body body going through it her partner is in pieces the person she loves the most is not even a person anymore also Daisy was not in the country of like where she's from completely different country part of the world you know six hours apart from her family, um, you know, just completely by herself. And she has to pick me back up, you know? And yeah. I, unfortunately at the time, was not able to be there for her as a partner because obviously my body was going through a lot of trauma. And- Hormonally, you have a lot going on at that point. You can't really be <laughs> held responsible. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and it shows today. Like you see the effects six, seven years later because – Today I'm able to talk about this mis- this miscarriage. I've mm-hmm. I've done my 
my healing. I've done my, yeah. you know, I've, I've, I've gone through my grief. I was able to break down and fall apart yeah. and become nothing. Daisy wasn't. To this yeah. day, Daisy cannot talk about that miscarriage. She will break down. She, she cannot go through that conversation. And she yeah. really put off having a conversation about trying again because she says, I, I can't see you go through that again. She's like, I, I can't. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So my, she, my husband felt similar. Yeah. Yeah. So how many IUIs then before we get to our favorite donor? <laughs> oh, my God. Five. So it just kept on going five. and it got wow. frustrating. And the most frustrating part, I think it was like on the fourth IUI, I went in and my doctor said, you're still here? And I was like, Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. we waited. We took a little bit of time off um, after our miscarriage because we both okay. had to like become people again. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, we took several, several, several months off. And I told Daisy, I said, "We'll only start again when, when, when we talk about insemination and it gets us excited. When we yeah. talk about like babies and it gets us excited instead of making us cry, that's right. when we'll start." Again. So I said, "Let's yeah. heal and then we'll go." And so I remember just going in for like the fourth one and then the fifth one. And my doctor was like, you're still here. She's like, you're not pregnant yet. And I was like, obviously not if I'm here. Yeah. Like, like what a stupid comment. comment. Like, yeah. I understand my body's not doing and I don't understand. And that's when they started doing uh, medicated cycles. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode. Tune in next week for part two. We'll see you then. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Infertility Me podcast. If you liked it, please leave a review and subscribe. If you'd like to keep up to date with future podcast episodes, you can follow me on Instagram at infertilamine.pod. See you next time.